Welcome to The Lion, the Witch, and the Evangelicals, the fifth season of the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. I am Crispin Mayfield, and I'm a therapist. I'm D.L. Mayfield, and I'm a writer and neighbor. And we discuss evangelical artifacts from the 80s and 90s. This season, we're tackling everybody's favorite kids series, The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. So join us as we return to childhood and rediscover what's special about this series as we keep our eye out for themes of dominant theology. Welcome to season five of the Prophetic Imagination Station, The Lion, the Witch, and the Evangelicals. We're going to be talking about Chronicles of Narnia and trying to disentangle that from disentangle Lewis and what he was doing and writing and just the significance of this story from our own upbringing in American evangelicalism because Lewis was neither American nor evangelical. Right, and yet the Chronicles of Narnia have played an outsized role in many an evangelical childhood, right? Yes, like definitely. Those, those books are pretty ubiquitous in mm-hmm. our upbringing. And I would say even in the past few decades, um, you know, there's been some like huge blockbuster movies made about some of these books. So it continues to be a cultural juggernaut. And I think both you and I just were like, well, what if we did a series about that? And we mentioned it like on a few social media things and people immediately were like, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. Mm-hmm. Please don't ruin the Chronicles of Narnia for me. Please don't ruin C.S. Lewis. And I don't know about you, but that immediately made me want to like do it. <laughs> of course, it made you want to no, do I'm, it. I'm asking, like, what did it make you? Yeah, think? right. Uh huh. I think so. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to ruin people's childhoods. I don't either. I mean, childhood but, memories. But <laughs> but like when when somebody's so attached to something like that, and they're like, please don't tell me anything that'll make me not like it anymore. To me, that shows like a a lack of actually wanting to engage in critical thinking and that's what makes me want to do it you know mm-hmm. right yeah totally i don't know is there anything from your childhood that you're like i just i just would never want to know if there's anything bad well about we it? basically did that with adventures in odyssey <laughs> i don't know though i mean i feel that way about musicians like every single musician okay. i'm like i do not want to know anything personal about you because i think musicians as a group tend to be like kind of volatile people and they don't make the best decisions they're not like great role models right exactly yet i often love their music yeah but what really struck me about this is like it wasn't just like here's a christian thing that we're trying to like export to the world hearing some of the interviews i was like oh yeah like actually c.s lewis and the chronicles of the chronicles of narnia specifically have a much wider reach even outside of Christendom, out right. of outside the church, which was really like I think shocking for me to know because I grew up in evangelical culture. It's always like let's like here's this good Christian thing and we're gonna make a movie of it to like reach people. Yeah. Uh, but realizing that it actually is like in literature and children's literature, it's a really important series. Yeah. So should we like talk about what the Chronicles of Narnia is really quick, just in case there's like one person on earth who doesn't know what it is? Yeah. I would love to hear you describe it. Are you ready? Okay. So the Chronicles of Narnia is a seven book series that C.S. Lewis wrote in the 1950s. I believe he wrote them all within a period of like two to three years. I could be wrong. And let's have this caveat right now. Okay. I've been reading a lot about C.S. Lewis over the past few months, but my brain is also a mess because of the world being a mess. And so 
you know me. I, I can sometimes act like I know what I'm talking about when I really don't. So, like, anything we say on this podcast obviously should be fact-checked right before you go spouting it. So, I think you wrote it in a period of two to three years, and it was, you know, oh my gosh, see, I, I don't know all the days, but it was right after World War II, and he was in a really weird uh, relationship that was really demanding with an older invalid woman. I mean, it's also weird. And so he wrote these books in like 30-minute increments, basically, while being a full-time teacher and a full-time caregiver, and, uh, you know, just in the aftermath of World War II. So that's an interesting background. And he had, you know, converted to Christianity. It wasn't like immediately prior to the Chronicles of Narnia, but he hadn't been a Christian his whole life, and he was sort of working through his some of his Christian beliefs through literature, through you know these these works of of children's stories. I don't know how much you want to get into it, but you know he was famous at this point for being more of like a Christian apologist, right? So he got really famous after he did these radio lectures that eventually got turned into mere Christianity. You know he wrote the Screw Tape Letters, and I think it was 1941, and so. He was already writing about the Christian faith, but at this point he was just like, I really want to connect my love of, you know, fairy stories. He didn't really like children's stories at all. He loved, like, mythology, and he loved, like, George MacDonald. So he's like, okay, I'm just going to do that through these stories. And, I mean, he's told people, like, in letters that he did not mean to write seven of them, right? Like, he wrote the first one, and, and he sort of, like, had an image of, I believe it was, like, a lamppost, and a fawn, and then he just starts writing. And so it seems like a very creative endeavor, actually, for, from this really academic, very smart man, just sort of like going off of images and going with the mythology of uh, Christ, who he makes Aslan, right? This lion mm. in this book. And so, yeah, the first book, I think, is the most well-known one. It's called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And it does kind of follow the Christian story of, uh, you know, a deity, a god who dies for other people even though you know they're innocent and then is resurrected and, and restores uh the world to life and so and then there's six more books in the series we'll actually be talking through most of those books as we go through this um i think that the last tidbit of information i just want to say if you've never read the books if you haven't heard of them you've probably heard of the lord of the rings right and written by tolkien and Tolkien and Lewis were, like, best buds, and this is, like, pretty well known, and they were part of this group called the Inklings. And um, just over and over again in, like, any biography of C.S. Lewis or any writing on the Chronicles of Narnia, it always comes up that Tolkien was just, like, so annoyed by these books and really hated them. And uh, his main quibble was that he just didn't think Lewis fleshed it out enough or, like, put enough thought into it. Um, and he just was so annoyed, like, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, they have, like, Father Christmas and a White Witch, but he was like, but Father Christmas is, like, from our world, so, like, how is that in Narnia, you know, and Uh (laughs) so I think that's so funny, and it legitimately strained their relationship, like, strained their friendship, like, at the end of their lives, they were not friends anymore, due to stuff like this, but this is coming from the guy who created his own languages first, like, uh-huh. that's what Tolkien did. He just created languages when he was a kid, and he created some mythology. And he, he spent so many years of his life, like, working and creating his own mythology of these lands that eventually he was like, if I love this so much, maybe there's a story here. And that's how he ended up writing The Lord of the Rings, which is li- which was his life's work. And Lewis, again, I just said, he wrote these books in 30-minute increments and just put whatever he wanted to 
huh. into them. Yeah, that's um, so interesting. So I, I actually, yeah, I, okay, we'll talk about what we think about the books, but that's right. how I sum it up. C.S. Lewis working out the tenets of Christianity through fairy stories because he was tired. I think he was tired of writing apologetics. Mm, that actually is really striking to me um, because I think that it can't, it gets so tiresome like talking about theology as a textbook all the time. Mm -hmm. So I totally get why like that would be really life giving to like place it in this like alternate reality anyway. Yeah. And it, so the thing about Lewis too, was that he was a highly educated person. You know, he was a, a Don at Oxford. He didn't like teaching, but that's what he did, you know, to earn his living. And so he was then becoming famous for talking about Christianity. And so, but as a teacher, he mostly talked about like medieval literature, which was all about myths and all about hmm. story. And so I see I guess the Chronicles of Narnia being a marriage of his, of his two interests. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Speaking of ruining people's childhood memories, mm -hmm. what are your childhood memories of these books? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely remember them being like a safe book to read and a very Christian book to read. And so, you know, my parents encouraged that. I didn't have super strong attachments to it um, because in particular, the first book was so boring to me because of the parallels, right? Right. To I had the same feeling. Like, I already know the this passion story. story. I'm like, it's like, I had, to, I had to watch a passion play every freaking Easter, you know, at our church. Like, I, I know this story. Um, I, I mean, who's your favorite character in the first book? Uh, this is a good question. I really liked Mr. Tumnus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely elements that were very cool mm -hmm. um, of these books, and there actually is a is a huge depth of emotion in in certain parts. I actually really loved Edmund, and um, you know, reading it more as an adult, he just seems like totally insufferable and terrible and a bully. But as a kid, you know, I didn't identify with the other three kids who were just like good and did whatever they were supposed to do. But you know, I really was like interested in a redemption arc right and so edmund eventually being redeemed is like basically the crux of the story that's really interesting because i identified with edmund but i did not want to be edmund and i just could not see any value in him it was like aslan had to save him because aslan's good but not because Edmund was, like, worth saving. That's so interesting. I was a really, really good kid. If anything, I would have been right. a Lucy or a Peter, but I was like, I'm an, I'm an Edmund. Like, I just knew that. Huh. Because I think, you know, C.S. Lewis knew this to a certain extent. Is like, failed heroes or, you know, flawed characters are more interesting, and that's why I loved Edmund. Right. But, yeah, there's lots of weird things in there that don't make it quite as boring as I'm making it out to be, right? There mm -hmm. is some interesting stuff in there. Right, like the Beaver family oh, was always fascinating so to great. me. And then the rest of the series, um, I kind of felt similarly about all of them. Like, they were all pretty good. I ended up, like, maybe when I was a teenager, really loving The Horse and His Boy. Uh, and that is something we will be discussing in a later episode because... That's probably what would be singled out as the most problematic of all the books at this point due to um, cultural stuff. So there's that. And then the last battle um, just terrified me in my soul because my mom was really into 
the end times. And so when I read that book, it was just sort of like, ugh, like this dread because it's all about the end times. And it's actually like, I would say a horror novel for children in some respect. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, when I read it, I had a sense of horror in me. Right. Because yeah. it's all about somebody pretending to be a fake Aslan. Right. It's really scary. Yeah. And actually, I just reread it and was so taken with it, like so encouraged by it that we decided we're going to discuss that one ourselves. Yeah. So we'll, that'll be a later episode. I'm yeah. really looking forward to that because I haven't reread it. I mean, I'm still scared of it. Right. I mean, I truly approached it the same way, but realizing actually it has so much to say for where we are right now. Not necessarily that we're at the end times. Just FYI. We're in an ending yeah. of certain times. It's true. Yeah. We'll that's, take that. That's how I look at these things now. I always was Peter when we played Chronicles of Narnia. Okay. Part, probably because uh, the Pevinses family is the is this almost the same makeup as my family. Oh. Two boys and two girls. Right. So we would play that. We would also play it with church friends. Like, I remember that a lot. And then um, I remember, I mean, it's interesting reading these books. I read them with my dad. He mm -hmm. read them to us when we were kids. We would, like, lay on the bed. And, uh, yeah, so that has, like, a kind of personal part for me. So Yeah, I, d I will say my family was actually more of a Tolkien family. Yeah, than I a didn't... Lewis family because my my mom read to us The Hobbit, and then I have way more intense memories of reading Lord of the Rings than I do of these books. Of course, we read them because we were Christians, mm -hmm. and that's what you did. And that's kind of what we're getting at here is like everybody in our circles read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's safe, and even us, like we got all this CDs of all these mm -hmm. books on audio for our daughter Ramona. Like several years ago, and she's probably listened to them all multiple times, mm -hmm. except the last battle she told us. She said it was boring, so she hasn't listened to that one. Right. Is that interesting? Yeah. I mean, I also remember watching the old BBC movies. Oh, that's going to be one of our patron only episodes. We're going to, oh, we're yeah. going to uh, watch. I love the Puddle Glum one so much. The Silver so, Chair. Oh, it's mm -hmm. so good. The BBC. Yeah. I grew up watching the BBC adaptations of some of these. And then when The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe came out like the blockbuster one whatever um you know we saw all those and i feel like they're terrible we saw uh prince caspian i believe in when we were in china oh anyway. yeah i just hated those man i hate those adaptations <laughs> and that's actually something we discuss in one of our interviews it's like the difference between how like the BBC handles some of the themes mm -hmm. versus like an American audience is really interesting. And that's kind of what we're getting at here is how do people interpret Lewis? Why is it, why are these books deemed so safe and so appropriate? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they're, they're beloved for a reason, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. But yeah. I could, why, why do you think evangelicals love C.S. Lewis so much, Crispin? Well, I think that The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe clearly is like a gospel presentation. Mm -hmm. um, but I think based on that, then you actually have stories that are fairly interesting, you know? Um, and I don't think that there were that many other things that were so clearly Christian and also very interesting and classic. Yeah, and it's sad because I don't think C.S. Lewis would have said it was a gospel presentation, but that's how I remember it. Mm -hmm. And I think you're right. That's because that's how it was presented to me. Right. Um, and he would 
yeah, he he probably wouldn't be super duper happy. I think even during his lifetime, he was a little weirded out by how much Americans liked his stuff. Huh. And his American fans, I like I I just read in some of these biographies, he was just sort of like, okay, that's interesting. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. like American Christians were seen as like you know a weird cousin mm-hmm. of the British Christians, right? Which is really interesting. Speaking of, uh, Americans have tried to Americanize Lewis. Oh, what do you mean? So. For one, well, for one, when you Google C.S. Lewis quotes, uh-huh. you can do that. Ten quotes come up. Three of them are incorrect. On your Google? On my Google. How do you, and how do you find out if they're incorrect or not? Because I knew, like, I'd already been Googling false quotes. Uh, and it really speaks to, of course, these all originate in America. And they definitely seem to be like an American evangelical twist on what they wish Lewis would okay. have said. Okay, so we all know, right, it's 2020, fake news is is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and by fake news, I mean like memes on the internet. So all the people in my life who scream about fake news, like CNN and New York Times being fake news, they have no problem sharing a meme on Facebook from like rad uncle benny's account you know like right so that's what we're talking about here is the memes on facebook someone quoting dave Chappelle, but it's actually rick warren's words that sort of thing so like what are you what are you saying here people make up quotes they edit c.s lewis quotes what's going on uh i think both i think People make up their own quotes, okay. and somehow in the mix it gets miscommunicated. Um, but also, like, I, I don't know how this happens. It's just like in a book, someone will be like, like C.S. Lewis said, and it's someone else. Okay. Um, so here's here's a little thing we're going to do throughout the season, uh, which is, is it a C.S. Lewis quote or not? Okay. You Wait, you're going to ask me that? Yes. And then I have to decide if it is uh-huh, or not? Yeah. Okay, okay. All right. Uh, I wish that I could do British accents, but I'm not going to even try. Oh, I wish you would. I mean, it would be like... Hello, governor. (laughs) My argument... No, No, I can't I told you. I told you. My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? That seems real. Yes. Oh! Can you guess at what book it is? I don't know. He wrote like a million. Yeah, but it's an easy one. Mere Christianity? Yes. Okay, okay. How about this one? Satan says, I will cause anxiety, fear, and panic. I will shut down businesses, schools, places of worship, and sports events. I will cause economic turmoil. Jesus says... (laughs) It's fake! Jesus says... I will bring together neighbors, restore the family unit. No! I I will bring dinner back to the kitchen table. (laughs) I will help people slow down their lives and appreciate what really matters. I will teach my children to rely on me and not the world. I will teach my children to trust me and not their money and material resources. Obviously not C.S. Lewis. This was uh, written by Heidi May on Facebook in May 2020. Okay. 
Uh, I mean, people f- identified the source, but okay. somehow at some point it got <laughs> attributed to C.S. Lewis and it got passed. But let me guess, she by... was kind of saying that like we shouldn't shut down our economy because of COVID. Right. Yes. yes. Okay. And she she didn't actually like attribute it to C.S. Lewis when she like you can find like the Facebook quote. Like she was just like, here's this thing that God told me, which I'm like, well, but uh, at some point it got attributed I mean. to C.S. Lewis. At some point. In white evangelicalism, if you quote C.S. Lewis, you can get away with anything. Right, exactly. Right? Yes. Uh-huh. That's how I feel. Like, if you're writing this essay about how we should never let refugees in to the United States ever again, mm-hmm. right? If you put a C.S. Lewis quote in there, boom, you're up on the Gospel Coalition. I don't know. That's just, like, right. how I feel exactly. about it. Well, that's what I mean about this, like, American evangelicalizing yeah. of C.S. Lewis. Do you have another one? Yeah, I got two more. Okay. Uh, the enemy wants men. Uh, so this is allegedly from the screw tape letters. Okay. My dear Wormwood. Yeah, which we're going to do. We're going to do lots of my dear Wormwoods. Okay. Uh, in the season. The enemy wants men, so far as I can see, to ask very simple questions. Is it righteous? Is it prudent? Is it possible? Now, if we can keep men asking, is it in accordance with the general movement of our time? Is it progressive or reactionary? I think this is real. Is this the way history is going? They will neglect the relevant questions. You're right. It is real. Yeah, he is super... He really did not like progressive people. Yeah. So that sounds real. Look at me! I'm like a a Lewis scholar now! Oh my gosh! How about this one? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. No. That was Rick Warren. No! (laughs) Wait, or Dave Chappelle. Right. (laughs) Because they are being confused on Facebook these days. Apparently, Rick Warren is misattributed. Like, his words are misattributed to a lot of people. Wow. Uh, the Dave Chappelle quote was also misattributed to one of the Duck Dynasty guys, but that's kind of another story. Whoa. Um, yeah, it is. And this is like one of those things where like, I don't know if that was a meme or if that was like written in a book, I think. Mm-hmm. Like someone was like, like C.S. Lewis said, but it was actually Rick Warren. So this Gosh, happens a have, lot. Have I ever, I have quoted C.S. Lewis. I actually quoted C.S. Lewis in The Myth of the American Dream, but I think that's the only time I've ever quoted him. Yeah. But it's interesting to think about, like, why do writers rely on that? Why do we reach for him? It's because he's a legitimizing force. Wouldn't you say, like, we view him as, like, a really smart, successful intellectual who did bring Christianity into, like, mainstream legitimacy? Yeah. That's mm-hmm. what I think. I think so. And, but here's the deal, Crispin. Mm-hmm. Um, if C.S. Lewis is so great... Why does, like, only 1% of England attend church, like, attend a Christian church? If he was so freaking good <laughs> at Christian apology... This is the actual qu- question yeah, right. I have. Yeah. I mean, he did those mere Christianity broadcasts, right, in the 40s, and people just, like, lost their ever-loving minds. Like, this is it. This is the thing. This Because England was already experiencing, like, a rapid decline in, you know, Christian church attendance and all that stuff. Well... It has gotten exponentially worse over there. And when I was in England last summer, like, yeah, talking to some vicars, and they're just like, yeah, like, basically nobody goes to church anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, the few Christians I met there were, like, really cool people, really thoughtful, doing good work. 
but they're, I would say, like, obviously the extreme minority. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting as an American to be like, huh, like, this is probably coming down the pike for us, right? And we all need to wrestle with that in different ways. But, yeah, like, if Cecil is so great, how come England's, like, not Christian anymore? Well, here's the thing is I think that reading the books, the Chronicles of Narnia, actually really helped me appreciate C.S. Lewis a lot more. I think that... Like rereading them now. Right. Okay. I think that... Uh, I think a lot of his ideas of... His presentations of like the faith in Christianity really shines in those books. I will say that mostly what I hear quoted from C.S. Lewis is generally like shaming mm -hmm. um and like just not very uh compassionate or like open-hearted to others it I, often is sort of like preachy or argumentative i don't know if that's just because i'm reading like gospel coalitions and desiring god yeah. blogs a lot why do you do that to yourself because i look up just like a simple phrase and yeah. desiring god has a really good seo so they will always have an article that oh, comes up to the top but anyway um, I have a question mm -hmm, for you. Mm -hmm. If C.S. Lewis was alive today, mm -hmm. and, and I'm phrasing it that way, not were you alive then, because were you alive then? So the question is, would you be friends with C.S. Lewis? Mm. But I want to give the caveat of him being alive today, so he would, you know, hopefully be uh, more informed, less racist, less sexist. <laughs> um... So just sort of knowing his personality, if he lived in the 21st century, would you be, you know, and he was in your sphere, would you be friends with him? No, but I will say that as we were going to do this season, like the main question on my mind was like, should we cancel C.S. Lewis or not? Because mm -hmm. that was sort of like the framework I was coming into this with and thinking through um, – you know, there's some real problems with, with some of his writing. However, as I've, like, read biographies, as I've become really immersed in, like, what caused him to actually convert to Christianity, what were his friendships like, what what was he obsessed with? Um, and Alan Jacobs wrote this book called The Narnian, which is not my favorite book ever. I just feel like he's, like, really obsessed with C.S. Lewis and really glosses over some of the really problematic stuff. But he says that Lewis's entire life was driven by this desire for enchantment. And that actually drove him to be a Christian. And um, because he experienced like this joy, this like mystical joy in certain things, like he finally started to understand like that's from God and, and that fits within the Christian narrative. And, and he had no problem calling it like Christian myths. Um, but like, it's a true myth and like all these other myths of our world and of his favorite literature. Like it's, it's like, we like these stories because the desire to like them comes from God. And so that's kind of what made him convert. Now, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is a faith that I can see pursuing my whole life, right? Is like searching for that joy. And I would call it something else. Like for me, I've, I've had that experience too of being in this place and being like, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed with this sense of beloved community, right? Is maybe how I would say it or shalom or, you know, whatever you want to call it of like, I have this desire for all of my neighbors to be flourishing and to be at peace and to be able to experience the beauty of our world. Um, I know that desire doesn't come from me because I'm, I'm just like a selfish mess, right? And so mm. 
that's why I'm a Christian. So actually, I was like, oh my gosh, Denise C.S. Lewis really made me think about what is at the center of Christian faith. And I'm like, I really like what Lewis thought was at the core of Christian faith. Like, I really identify. And it's this German word. I don't know how to say it. It's like senusud or something like that. Hmm. Because they didn't have it in English. This this longing for joy. Um, and then growing up, I really heard that talked about. It was like, that's the longing for heaven. But that's not exactly what C.S. Lewis is saying. He's like, you mm-hmm. can find it here. Mm-hmm. You can find it now. You can find it in good books, in beer, in your friendships. Um, heaven in the real world. That's Stephen Curry's It's Chapman funny because it made me think of like John Piper, how growing up we kept hearing like, John Piper's a, a hedonist for Christ. and He's all about pleasure. It's like, um, have you read the man's works? The man does not have a lot of pleasure in his life. You know what I mean? Like he <laughs> doesn't seem like a very happy guy. But C.S. Lewis kind of did, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, he really... Uh, and and this is something that Alan Jacobs says is like it wasn't until he finally converted to Christianity that he finally decided to be like I'm just gonna live my life with gusto and so like that's a word that would kind of describe him like mm. he loved to drink and like if he was chatting with his friends about weird Norse mythology which he loved like he would stay up until three in the morning to do that because that's how much he loved it and you know mm. he just like r- like you know what would we say balls of the wall gusto I don't know like. <laughs> That's how he lived his life. And I'm like, that's a cool way to live. Because of his faith. Yes. Because he's like, this is from God. Huh. Like pursuing what you love is of God. And of course, there are desires you have to manage. And of course, like, you know, I think there's a lot of ethics that go into that. But for him, he wasn't talking about just like pleasure. He's talking about this very specific senushut or however you say it. Like this, Hmm. this long, this joy that is otherworldly. And he was always on a quest to find that because he had flashes of it as a child. And he was just always trying to find that. And it wasn't until he became a Christian. He was like, this is from God. That is really interesting. Yeah, it sounds like you're saying like pleasure can obviously be like numbing and disconnecting. And so he's talking about something that is really engaging and life-giving. And let's just be be honest. Like C.S. Lewis is a total weirdo. I don't get it all. He really was like... This joy, I feel, is better than sex. Like, sex is an imitation of this joy. And, and you know, hearing evangelical Christians talk about sex and the joy of God, it's like, none of that means anything to us anymore, right? We're just like, okay, whatever. Um, and he was a bachelor, and he, like, mostly hung out with dudes. And it, so part of me is just like, I don't quite understand. I don't quite understand all of this. But at the same time, I myself have experienced like these desires for my neighbors and for me and my children, like for all of us to be flourishing. And, you know, I I wrote in the myth of the American dream, like I think I said the only time I'm ever truly happy is like when I'm teaching English class at our school cafeteria with the women in the community and they're all helping each other. And we're at this public school that's trying to help our neighborhood. And like, we're sharing like tips on the best grocery stores and like, you know, how to get your permit and how to get a good translator and what time you have to show up at the DMV and like watching everybody help each other. I'm just like finally at peace. Right. And I finally, I finally get to see a tiny bit of this vision I have for the world where everybody's doing okay. And we're all helping each other. Like, yeah, that, that comes from God. That does not come from me. And that's why I'm a Christian. Mm. 
Um, so I just like really admire him, and yet at the same time, like nobody wouldn't be friends because he didn't really like women. He didn't really like people that weren't interested in the exact same things as him. It kind of seems like, huh. and uh, yeah, he had just, he just had some weird stuff going on. Hmm. What was the most surprising thing that you learned about Lewis? Yeah, I think it would be that, you know, I've I've heard of him saying I've I mean I've heard about that his entire memoir is called Surprised by Joy. So like this should have been more evident to me, but it wasn't. That that truly was his desire in life was to be enchanted by the world. And honestly, that doesn't sound like a bad way to be. Um and I think again, I'm just continually having this realization that the Narnia books are really unique and deserving of praise in a way. You know, it doesn't mean we can't read them critically, which I think we should, mm -hmm. especially if your kids are going to read them. Like, you better be talking about some of this stuff with them, and mm -hmm. uh, we'll get to that. But I, I've just been surprised by, um, I guess I was pretty inspired huh. to say this is something I would like to pursue in my own life. Mm. To be more like C.S. Lewis. I did not see that coming. Let's be honest. You know me. Right. I yeah. love to criticize people. Yeah. Right. And there's a lot to criticize. The yeah. misogynist. The imperialist. It's all there. We'll talk right. about that. We'll get there. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, especially with this idea of how we understood Christian art growing up, which yes. is like to get a message across to like very utilitarian. That is not him. Right, so it's really interesting. Him and Tolkien were just the weirdest, coolest, mythology-obsessed nerds, and the world's a better place for it. Yeah, I'm so excited to to revisit these and hear from experts on uh, different books and their experiences. And Yeah, we talked to some very cool people, right? Mm -hmm. Like, a lot of academics and theologians, um, people like... All the way from the University of Tehran to uh, University of Florida, which to me is also another world, right? And uh, yes. not everybody's like podcast regulars or anything. So I think mm -hmm. you'll hear from some really fresh voices. And we definitely talked to people who were not Christians. And that was also really interesting is to hear how these books hit in like an academic setting here and now um, to non-Christian students. So it's going to be an awesome season. This is not a cancel C.S. Lewis culture show, right? Right. It's just a critique C.S. Lewis because what else do we do but critique things? And critique is a form of love. Right. I mean, he loved to rip things apart himself, so I'm mm -hmm. like, he gets it. Mm -hmm. He's up in uh, the tavern in the sky looking down <laughs> at us, right? Fondly. Yeah. Right. I don't know. <laughs> he believed in purgatory. <laughs> Maybe he's in purgatory. Do you think he was going to purgatory? <laughs> I don't. You were supposed to be the one to research his views on the afterlife. So don't ask me that question. <laughs> That's true. I tried reading The Great Divorce and I just got lost. Did you? I did. I don't know. It was just kind of, it was very set in like his specific time. Yeah. There were lots of like political like nods to things. And I was yeah. like, I know this means something, but uh -huh. I don't know what it means. Like, yeah. He talks about like young people that are interested in communism and. I should read it then. I don't know. Yeah. Um. So that's the other thing. We aren't Lewis experts. We wish we were. We did talk to some though, so that'll be good. There's just no way we could become experts on this guy because he's so prolific and there's been so much written about him. So 
It's all right. We're, we're just going to bumble along through it yeah. with y'all and talk to some people that have some really interesting things to say. Yeah. So buckle up, you know, grab a cup of tea and uh, be on the lookout for some of the episodes coming with the interviews coming up. So the rest of the series is mostly going to be interviews, except I think near the end when you and I talk about the last battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And also, if you guys have questions, comments, etc., we are going to uh, either have some one-off episodes of you and I talking or um, little bits at the beginnings of episodes. We're going to continue with our Dear Wormwood segment. Yeah, Chris is going to come up with the best fake C.S. Lewis quotes. If you have one, please send them to us at... Uh, prophetic imagination station at gmail.com and yeah please do that as you most of you probably know we do have a patreon called at prophetic imagination i think it's actually patreon slash dl mayfield mm-hmm. um you can join us there and because of that support we are able to do monthly patron only episodes the most recent one we did was all about Superbook, which is a like a collaboration with the christian broadcasting network and a japanese anime studio to bring um biblical stories to life for a japanese audience for, and like primetime television i think for mm-hmm. the first time in the 80s and we actually watched the one about sodom and gomorrah and, and it was called hot dog it was this guys it was called hot dog and we talked about that so if you <laughs> want to listen to that you can join our patreon our patreon's awesome because we have three tiers you can financially support us and um you know we're just trying to be a little socialist here so like you can pay a dollar fifty, or you can pay eight dollars, and you get the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to be socialist like Jesus was. Um, yeah, so you can join our Patreon. You can follow us on Twitter, Prophetic Imagine, and I hope by this time I will have made an Instagram account for this podcast. Mm. Hopefully, maybe. That'd be great. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah, thanks for listening. We need a sign-off for C.S. Lewis for Chronicles of Narnia. This isn't a safe podcast, but it isn't good either. <laughs> Nobody will get that. Yeah, I don't know what I, I guess there's no way, like, you know, you can go into the wardrobe, but it's not like they... Ever left. on and ever out, right? Is that what they say? Oh, okay. I don't know. What it says, I don't know. (laughs) All right. Your affection, Uncle (laughs) DL and Crispin signing off. This has been an episode of the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. Find out more at propheticimaginationstation.com. Also, you can follow Danielle and Crispin on Twitter and Instagram as well as following the Prophetic Imagination Station on Twitter at PIS underscore Imagine and on Instagram at Prophetic Imagination Station. Thanks for listening.